Let us pray. Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy tongue. As thou hast sought, so let me seek thine erring children, lost and lone. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is traditionally known as Palm Sunday, the day in which Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and was greeted by crowds waving palm branches and cheering, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. With this processional begins Holy Week, which after several days of teaching and heightened conflict, will turn to the even more solemn events of Thursday. Jesus' betrayal by Judas. The Passover meal Jesus eats with his disciples that becomes his last supper and our Lord's supper. His struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this cup pass from me. The kiss of death leading to Jesus' arrest. His trial before the high priest, his being denied by Peter three times before the cock crows, all of this happens on Thursday of this coming week. Then the events of Friday follow, events more deadly. Jesus' trial before Pilate, the suicide of Judas. Pilate's question before the crowd, whom do you want me to release? The crowd shouting Barabbas. Pilate then asking them, what do you want me to do with Jesus who's called the Messiah? And the crowd again shouting, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. And then Pilate wiping his hands of the whole controversy. And then still on Friday, soldiers mocking Jesus. Simon of Cyrene carrying Jesus' cross to a place called the place of the skull. Wine mixed with gall. Soldiers casting lots to divide his clothes among them. Passers-by wagging their heads. If you are the Son of God, come down on the cross. Thieves crucified with Jesus, taunting him with the same words. Jesus' final words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Sour wine on a sponge, on a stick. His last breath, the temple of the curtain torn in two. The earth shaking, rocks splitting, tombs opening, the dead rising and appearing, the bodies of saints who had fallen asleep being raised, then the centurion on duty. This surely was God's son. Then the quiet work of Joseph of Arimathea, removing the body from the cross, wrapping it in a clean linen cloth, placing it in a new tomb, rolling a stone across the opening of the tomb. And the next day, Saturday, Pilate granting permission for guards to make the tomb secure by sealing the stone. All of this happens between the time we leave this service today and the time we gather next week 
to sing, the strife is o'er, the battle done, the victory of life is won, the song of triumph has begun. Hallelujah. It is a very important week in the life of the church. In all four Gospels, the narrative of the first three years of Jesus' life and teaching moves at a brisk pace. There are parables here, miracles there, healings everywhere. Until this week, Holy Week, when the pace of the narrative slows down. And it leads us to see detail after detail, drama after drama. Not so much blood and gore as human drama, human action, human failure, human heroism. But as important as the events of Holy Week are, it is the resurrection of next Sunday morning that makes these events newsworthy and historic. If you think about it, if the resurrection had not happened, none of the events of this week would have come into the consciousness beyond a few people. As the Apostle Paul writes, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And your faith is in vain. It is the resurrection of Christ that makes his teachings beyond that of a great teacher. His death beyond that of a martyr. His life beyond that of other great lives that have been lived, both those that have been lived to their fullness of days and those that have been cut short by violence and human conflict. And all of it begins with a procession into Jerusalem on a donkey to the waving of branches and shouts of Hosanna. For over 2,000 years, the arts have played a significant role in walking us through the events of Holy Week. To begin our walk this year, I want to turn not to paintings that we can see in a museum or choral pieces that we can hear in cathedrals and concert halls. I want to begin our focus on Holy Week with a poem that tells a story and thus sounds more like a parable or a fable or even a children's story than what we usually consider a poem to be. The poem is by Mary Oliver, a contemporary American poet. Its title provides all the introduction that we need to set the stage and be invited in to hear it. The title, The Poet Thinks About the Donkey. On the outskirts of Jerusalem, the donkey waited, not especially brave or filled with understanding. He stood and waited. How horses turned out into the meadow leap with delight. How doves released from their cages clatter away, splashed with sunlight. But the donkey tied to a tree as usual, waited. Then he let himself be led away. 
he let this stranger mount. Never had he seen such crowds. And I wonder if he at all imagined what was to happen. Still, he was what he had always been. Small, dark, obedient. I hope, finally, he felt brave. I hope, finally, he loved the man who rode so lightly upon him as he lifted one dusty hoof and stepped, as he had to, forward. And while this poem is entitled, The Poet Thinks About the Donkey, it is clear that as Mary Oliver writes it, she is thinking not only about the donkey, but she is thinking about herself. Her own insignificance as one human being in all of God's creation. Perhaps her own reticence to act with courage. Perhaps her own faith and doubts that surround it. And as we hear this poem and are led to think about the donkey, we too cannot help but think about ourselves. Small, dark, obedient. The poem leads us first to think of what we are not. Not especially brave or filled with understanding. Even in this city of privilege and power, even in this congregation that is so efficient and put together, even in this community where children have near unlimited opportunities to explore the furthest limits of the heavens or the deepest intricacies of the earth, most of us do not feel like horses leaping with delight or doves splashed with sunlight. Where we are, or at least where we most often feel, is on the outskirts. On the outskirts of the city in which we live. The firm in which we work. The friends with whom we socialize. The family with whom we were once so close. Even, perhaps, the church in which we worship. Or if we are young, we may feel, at least at times, on the outskirts of the school in which we study, the team on which we play, the friends we thought we had. Like the donkey, we're on the outskirts of Jerusalem, of Alexandria, of those around us. We may even feel on the outskirts of our own lives our best selves, detached from our own bodies, sighing and sleeping or not able to sleep, wandering about and wandering into the future, doing what we've always done, but doing it with less passion, less focus, less joy. We are on the outskirts of our best selves. Neither are we especially brave or filled with understanding. So like the donkey, we do a lot of standing and waiting. Waiting for the next event that might change our lives. The next person. The next relationship. 
the next thrill or excitement or toy or trip or Apple release or driverless car or trip into outer space, the next celebrity murder, mystery or mayhem or challenge or crisis. Simply to relieve our boredom and to keep us from dwelling too long on the reality that we are not especially brave or filled with understanding. Thus we find ourselves tied to a tree as usual. Within view of horses leaping with delight and doves that are splashed in sunlight, neither of which can come close to describing who we are, how we feel. But then someone comes along and asks us if he can untie us from the tree. And we say yes. And he asks us to follow. And for some reason we think there might be something to this invitation, something good, perhaps something different from our usual standing and waiting, perhaps something like redemption. The redemption is not a concept we think a lot about or a word we very often use. So we allow ourselves to be led away. And we're led to a stranger who asks if he may ride on our back. And for some reason, we say yes. After several miles of bearing the stranger, we come upon a bustle of people. We have never seen such crowds. We have no idea why they have gathered, what they are about, and we cannot imagine what is about to happen. But something, something leads us to ride on. We ride on, not yet in majesty, but ride on, we do. It's not so much curiosity or the excitement and incitement that can come with a crowd. Perhaps it's the stranger himself. The one who rides so lightly upon us. So we lift one dusty hoof. And we step as we have to forward. And then we step again, lifting and looking and stepping and pausing, but forward each time, forward one hoof at a time. We do feel as if we have to walk, as if we have to bear the stranger upon us. But the feeling is not the kind of have-to we have known before, the kind of have-to that comes with boredom or routine or parental expectations or the threat of force or even the threat of law. It is not an unpleasant have-to, but one in which we simply cannot say no to the one who rides so lightly upon us, the one we grow with each step increasingly to love. It is a love unlike any other love we felt or know. 
It's a love that feels that leads us to feel something that we've never felt before. Bravery. Courage. As we see the crowd, we do hesitate. But we feel brave. We sense it make it nasty, ugly and violent. There are a lot of people up ahead waving and shouting Hosanna, but you know how people are, how they can turn on a dime and turn on you. But this feeling of bravery, while as new to us as the first breath we took out of our mother's womb, leaves us so much less afraid than we have been before. Less afraid of the demons we must confront. The demons within ourselves. Within our family. Within our nation. Within our culture. The demons within our own vocation or faith. We feel less afraid to take the first step. To speak up. To say how we feel. We're so much less afraid to confront someone. Someone we love. Someone for whom we work. Someone for whom we are responsible. We're less afraid to put ourselves in harm's way. To blow the whistle. To resist. To affirm. To defend. So we step forward, one dusty hoof at a time, trusting that our bravery, our courage, will be borne by the one we bear on our back, the one whose legs are draped over our ribcage. The one who rides and whose presence we feel lightly, ever so lightly. Amen.